0: You're listening to Disruptive Dialogues on the future of religion. Our aim is to provide listeners tools for a conversation on how religion is changing and being affected by society.
1: I'm your co-host, Troy Shepherd. I'm an app developer and a business entrepreneur and a researcher on cultural trends related to religion and community.
0: And I'm your co-host, Dr. Heidi Campbell, a professor of communication at Texas A&M University, where I study the intersection of religion, media, and digital technology. Welcome, and let's dive into today's conversation. Well, welcome back to Disruptive Dialogues on the Future of Religion. And it's my privilege to have with me today Professor Oren Golan, who is Professor in Education at the University of Haifa in Israel, someone I have known for quite a long time. And he's also one of the authors in the Digital Religion Collection. He has been doing interesting work on uh, Judaism, Catholicism, and other aspects of digital religion for the last about decade. He's had some interesting perspective being able to write in the first edition of the book, and then now revisit his work in the second edition. So, thank you, Oren, uh, for being with us today. And thank you also for your contribution to the digital religion book.
1: Thank you so much, Haya. It's a pleasure to talk to you today.
0: So, the first question I have is, is you weren't, uh, unlike some of the other people who've studied digital religion, you know, they that were in religious studies or in digital media, you know, you started out in doing your PhD in education, you were interested in kind of youth and their use of the internet. So looking at a different topic, but somehow along the way, you got redirected for at least part of your research to look at digital religion. So can you tell us, you know, how did you get interested in this topic and and what what are some of the maybe the first questions or studies that got you um, working in this area?
1: Well, I'd say that I was actually in sociology and social anthropology with my PhD at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem. And my focus was on the internet. I was really, really enthusiastic about the internet. The internet was on the rise in those years. And it was it was like already 2007. So like for a decade or so, uh, the internet was very, very strong uh, in Israel and beyond, of course. And um, so, so I, I was interested in how youth were dealing with the internet during my PhD years. And you know, I was finishing my PhD and I was looking for a new topic. And suddenly I met a, a, a young scholar, a professor uh, who turned out to be a professor and Heidi Campbell and since I was, always had an interest in the sociology and anthropology of religion I thought why not pivot a little bit to this direction and we started off with a joint project that we developed which turned out very well and I'm happy to say so that's how I sort of started my journey and since then I've been on this journey I, I did my postdoc in uh, at NYU I was in I was in, working a lot in Brooklyn I did a lot of field work in Brooklyn and then later on in, in Chicagoland, I was affiliated with Northwestern University, so I was there a lot. So I did a lot of work in the U.S. and tried to look at the Jewish communities and how they're looking at the new technologies, how, um, the smartphone, the, the way they, their approach to the internet. And that sort of drew on to other topics that I've been looking at for, for many years now.
0: So every time I talk to you, Oren, like you always have a new project on, like I remember a couple of years ago and you were saying, oh yeah, we've been following kind of pilgrimages throughout the whole, you know, the old city of Jerusalem and how they're you know, using the internet or ta- using the internet to kind of talk about these kind of embodied experiences as well as online experiences. So in all the kind of different studies that you've done, can you maybe give us a, like an overview of like one research project that you found really interesting and that really maybe influenced how you see religion in a digital age?
1: Well, that's a big question because I've been drawing through different streams. So my original, and until today, lot uh, m- many times I go back to it, the question of communities mm. and um, as the the concept of communities, which I think you've also explored in different ways, and how the boundaries of communities uh, are being negotiated through their work of the internet. So I, I've been looking at that, and then I've been looking at it through other, and then um, the question of outreach has come a lot, the question personal of proselytization. Is another stream, and then so that thing was also explored through several studies. For example, um, I, I did uh, a lot of work on outreach on, on this paper that we're going to talk about today a little bit but, um, from the chapter from the book that we're going to discuss. But also, with that that was the outreach of Chabad, which is a, a Jewish movement. But then I saw this outreach going on in other in other groups. For example, the Catholic Catholic group, um, and saw how um, the outreach from the Holy Land has been a, a whole operations and a whole it's like a, a world of of operations. Um, I've done work on live streaming, which is another form uh, of outreach, basically in a way of participation in religion through continuous a viewership of the Kaaba in of the Muslim Kaaba in Mecca, or or Lourdes. You can watch Lourdes online, or the or the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem, or in Nazareth, you could look at Nazareth as well. But, um, so there are all these different places which are now being live stream. So that was also, I think, an important study. And then I, have, um, I I do some more visual work later where I look at Instagram and other of these outlets that offer new ways of creating religious authority. So that's also very interesting. I've been looking lately also at WhatsApp groups and how a groups are creating religious creations and negotiations through, through WhatsApp. And so there's all these different, there's a lot of media and different layers of media to look at these questions of these basically sociological questions of authority, community, boundaries. These questions, they go with me to different religious groups and different contexts.
0: Great. Well, let's turn to the book, you know, Digital Religion. So you had a, a case study in the first book that came out in 2012 slash 13. And then I asked you to kind of revisit some of your research on especially Judaism and community and the Internet and to kind of update or give us a, a, some more current research for the 2000, you know, 2021 volume. So can you tell us a little bit about maybe just you know what you were talking about? You know, well tell us a little more concrete. Who is Chabad, how they're using the internet, and kind of what what was happening 10 years ago and how things have changed for that group now.
1: Chabad is a very interesting group. It's a, um, it's a group that's an ultra Orthodox group. So for people who aren't so familiar with the ultra Orthodox group, it's, they're very secluded. You can recognize them on the streets in many big cities especially in places like New York or you know or London or place or, or of course in Israel as well or Antwerpen, also in Belgium there's a big community where they you know they, you could recognize them with their black hats and you know, like head coverings they, they have beards they, the women have some kind of covering on their heads they're very they're very devout group and and they're, they're very enclaved so that that means that they're their boundaries are very, very thick. Um, they have a different way of life, different, different rhythm of life. They go to their own schools. They, they eat their own kosher food, not any kosher food, their kosher food that they, so it's their restaurants, it's their food, it's their life. They live in communities which are separated usually from the main community, the general community. So within these this large group, you know, it seems like for people, for outsiders, it seems like it's one big community, but it's not. It's actually several communities that have some kind of things in common, but they but they are very separate. Now, so one of the, the major branches is the Hasidic group within the ultra-Orthodox group. And one of the subgroups within <laughs> the Hasidic group is Chabad. Now Chabad, what is special about them is although they are part of this ultra-Orthodox and very enclaved group, they have a big operation of connecting to the world to the secular world, to the Jewish world that is non-Haredi and beyond. So they have, think, they feel it is part of their creed to proselytize Judaism to other Jews first and foremost, and then also to represent Judaism to the rest of the world and, and bring what they what they consider as light to the world, bring some kind of proximity to, to God in that way. So that that paper, given that paper is when, when I did, field work in New York, especially, and then I later on, I revisited this field work um, um, several times. I've been following them throughout the years, but the, uh, but the initial uh, work was um, in the 2011-12, that was the initial bulk of ethnography and, uh, that I did there. I interviewed a lot of webmasters. I little, uh, interviewed a lot of people who are doing communication operations in New York City and in Brooklyn, especially. And they it's also in other places, but around in New Jersey as well, places like that. In the Chabad community, which is mostly in Crown Heights, it's it's centered. It's very centralistic in a sense. The whole um, thing. Now they have a whole operations of uh, emissaries that are globally um, spread. Wherever, if, if a Jew, for example, reaches Kathmandu, and you know, or he goes to Thailand, or he goes to wherever, just any Australia, wherever you reach Canada, you always have. You can always find yourself a a Jewish meal, a Jewish food, just Jewish, you know, some kind of. These emissaries will give you a, find or help you to follow your faith, basically.
0: Mm.
1: So uh, so now I looked at what was happening on the online experience. And so they did a lot, a lot of work on the online experience. And first and foremost, they created something called Chabad.org, which is an enormous operation uh, based in Brooklyn. And based in Brooklyn, so it's close to the core, symbolically and otherwise. It's close to the center of the of the Chabad um, establishment. They, they over there they create a lot of content that is very, very friendly um, to and very, very pedagogically, I think, kind of sensitive to wide publics. So that people from that aren't that uh, familiar with Judaism or have a little bit of a basis of Judaism, which is about a lot of the American Jews, by the way, Mm -hmm. and we can still feel comfortable and learn more about this. And they are competing with other movements that also have good websites. For example, the Reform Movement, which is a more liberal movement in the U.S., and of course beyond the U.S., but based in the U.S., has like a, a, a a strong website called My Jewish Learning, for example, which also offers a lot of information about Judaism. But if you're gonna write, for example, Hanukkah or some kind of Jewish event on the internet, you will first and foremost, you will get first of all Wikipedia by the way, but the second thing will probably be Chabad.org and the third or fourth thing might be my Jewish learning. So this way it gives them an edge and give them a strong point to broadcast and transmit their religious um, filtering or religious lens in Judaism. To push that through to the to broad population, so so anyway, so the paper was about this group. It it focused on their work as projecting and proselytizing Judaism to the world on the one hand, but on the other hand, it also showed that they have a different internet. They have basically like two I call it two internets. Basically, I mean two publics that they are catering to. One is the general public, which is that their bigger operations. And then they have another public, which is their inner public, like what, what they want for themselves. So if they want to st- to for advanced learning or, or community issues, a lot of a lot of community issues, they have their own websites, like something like, uh, for example, I analyzed in the paper something called crown mm. which is a small operation. It's a little bit of a, it's more, more or less a newspaper, but it's kind of a community newspaper. It goes into that rubric of types of journalism. And where the people are trying to, to create a very safe and enclaved newspaper, which is, you know, it doesn't have anything that doesn't fit the, the, the moral codes of the religious system. And it also, it reports very carefully on other things. I will say, um, as an example from the paper, I, I interviewed the editor at the time, and he told me that, for example, he was very hesitant to publish certain things that had to do with uh, crime in, in adjacent neighborhoods, because he didn't want, on the one hand, he thought it was his obligation as a journalist to, to expose the public to you know, all kinds of misdoings in other places that might endanger his uh, population, to caution them to the, um, to the people he's catering to. But on the other hand, he doesn't want to expose them to very untoward kind of behavior. He was conflicted by that, but he still saw himself as. So he said, "In this case, I will tell them because it's because it's proper." But in some cases, he would say, "Let's not talk about it." You know. So, so there's a kind of a moral kind of code that's going on.
0: And one thing I find interesting, especially about the case study that you put in the first volume is two themes that your, your research can kind of emphasize is one is, you know, we think about conservative groups and often people from the outside think conservative groups, they're going to be anti-technology, but you know, you tell the story about, you know, how there's these dozen people sitting on this floor, all kind of producing Jewish content and, you know, just having a really clear strategy. So that kind of pushes against our, our stereotypes about religious groups using the internet. And the second thing is, you know, their kind of vision is actually maybe even more sophisticated than we think of oftentimes, especially the U.S. Christian evangelicals and their proselytization strategies. You know, the, here is another religious community doing that work and maybe even doing it better in some ways than that group. So I really appreciate that. You know, do you have any comments on either of those?
1: Well, I think there's a lot of commonalities which you compare to evangelical groups and, and how they work on the internet and televangelism, and all kinds of the other formats that they, they have embraced throughout the years. There are a lot of informal means that I think Chabad would appreciate, and they would appreciate. For example, music, dancing, uh, pictures of that. Sometimes I don't think Chabad is about um, Chabad.org, for example. Because it isn't about dancing, but they, they do. There is a way of kind of kind of a, a soft kind of power that is being used in both cases, and uh, through informal means, they kind kind of they they creep into your hearts in that way. I would say.
0: So, so when you went back, you know, and to revisit this research, especially for writing like nine years later, what have you found that's either similar or different in the Chabad community and how they approach the internet now?
1: Well, first of all, there's more. And the, I think like the basic premise of having two different mega operations, I mean, especially, I mean, the first one is the really mega, the having the, the one that's catering to the world, so to speak, or to the Jewish world. They also have a lot of donations, they have a lot of volunteers, they have a lot of, it's, 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 it's enormous. And it's not just Chabad.org, but Chabad.org is the biggest representative of this. And so, so that's one thing. And also there are, new, there are new formats, I should say, that have been embraced, and also new ways of learning. For example, Responsa, online Responsa has grown, also for both populations. Like there's an Ask Moses, for example, <laughs> which is a Chabad operation and where you can ask questions religious questions that can be sometimes very mundane and for a very religious person sometimes they, they seem not necessary I'll say that unnecessary but 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 for many people they're very important and sometimes they, they get a little complicated so so they have this whole operation and I'm, I'm also looking at this response thing with other populations in, in the Jewish world and so I think it's a big uh, it's a very interesting issue I think globally not only for Judaism I think is, I think uh, a, a, also an expert on this uh, topic. So there's responsa uh, there's whatsapp uh, groups going on and the whatsapp group uh, groups are now creating I think also creating um, communities com- it's very important for their inward kind of world. They're in like for their for, like, for, that's the second part. It's much more grassrooted and but they still have an interplay of their symbols and their discourse Mm. in order to create their symbolic world. You know who you're talking to, more or less. They also infiltrate other groups, by the way, so that there are Haredi WhatsApp groups, ultra-Orthodox WhatsApp groups that the Chabad are trying to gain more influence in by participating and discussing. So so they are more salient in these groups, I think. Some of it is so kind of natural maybe, but, uh, but they're inclined to these things. They're inclined to the information in the U.S. especially, I think they're even more inclined to using smartphones. Here it's a whole smartphone issue is a big story mm-hmm. that's evolving since our work together 10 years ago or so. So yeah, so I think there are new, there are new avenues. The, once the technologies change, it also gives new ways for, for what I call my, the inward and outward kind of um, directions. So there are new ways of expression, new ways of learning, new ways of expressing yourself, you know, um, for, for these different groups as a collective and as individuals. So I think there's there's a lot to learn and a lot to, more to study in these fields.
0: So if you were going to kind of sum up just like up until this point, what impact do you see the internet having on the especially ultra-Orthodox community in Israel and both how they see the internet as well as kind of what it's empowered in the community?
1: The internet as it's always an ambivalent top topic. Even today, there is a lot of ambivalence about the internet. It used to be a marker, and maybe still is in some ways. Uh, maybe the smartphones are markers. There's, other, there's a whole discussion of what is, the, what is the technological marker of being a mainstream or a um, Haredi or ultra-Orthodox person and being someone who's more uh, extreme, so to speak. In some groups are the very, very... I don't even say extreme groups. Maybe that would be the right word to say. There are some some groups that still will reject smartphones altogether. I mean, they will not take. They they might take a kosher phone, and maybe they'll even go to the very very minimal kosher phones that'll, um, you know, just for really communicating with their with their relatives and close friends and things like that. And they also use other other means. But basically, this is this has gone out of control. Even 12 years ago, whenever we when we started doing this work. It was still there was much more internet than you would expect. There was much more. I remember me and you. We were we were in uh, Merashari, was like a, the the most religious neighborhood, ultra uh, orthodox neighborhood in Jerusalem, and we were turning on our Wi-Fi to see how many Wi-Fis there are, <laughs> so. and you could see quite a lot. You could see <laughs> quite a lot, and people are still there are they're using it in a more careful way still. I have some, some data on, for example, how they use it with children, how they, they monitor children's use of, of the computer and then the internet. So it's much more careful and conservative kind of use in many, many ways. But it's still, it's, it's a big, big thing. And I think it's, its ramifications are unexpected. I think in that sense, I understand why their leaders are so objecting to this to this, even in the, the big rally in 2012 in the city, um, City parno in New York City, the, um, the stadium, the baseball stadium.
0: Yeah, protesting, um, for people who don't know, they, they gathered with a lot of the religious leaders to kind of say, you shouldn't be using the internet, it's a bad thing.
1: Yes, yes, yes. And people were, and the irony of it, it was on YouTube and people were watching on YouTube. There it was it's So many ironies in that, and Ayala Fader wrote about this very nicely in her last book, and she, for example, she speaks of people who are uh, ultra-Orthodox people who are secretly, they are they are doubters, and they want to sort of, they live in the community, they don't want to leave the community, but they are doubters um, in, in, in religion and in the community and the whole way of life. So these secret doubters are congregating on the internet, on special, in special groups. And I mean, that's, of course, an extreme when you, in but in a sense that, you can see there's a proliferation to different kind of groups. the the way that the the way that the the supervision of the author, the great authorities in the past it can't continue. It, it couldn't continue ten years ago when we were seeing it in the web on the websites that are emerging and the news outlets that were emerging. and even and today it's even less. It, you have to compete with the, so many things, so it's it's diversifying and also the the population is in demographic terms, has grown. They, in Israel, now, there are more than a million Haredi people. That's a lot of people. So they have a more and more expression on different communication mode, communicative modes, including WhatsApp, including the uh, Internet, including all kinds of uh, ways. And uh, we're going to be seeing how this uh, draws out to social media and where is it going to go
0: Well, thank you, Oren, so much for sharing about your research, about the journey that you've been on to learn about this group and to other groups, and just how sometimes we think on the outside that, oh, this group is going to be responding one way to technology, and we find that it's not just the opposite of what we think, but it's a lot more complex than we think. So thank you for kind of shining a light on the ultra-Orthodox community in Israel and their use of digital media.
1: Thank you so much for having me, and I I think that the book is going to be very, very strong and I look forward to seeing the new ball.
0: Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode and if you haven't done so already,
1: be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified of future podcasts. And be sure to rate and review this podcast on your favorite platform or share it with your friends.
0: We hope you're leaving today with a better understanding about religion and conversational tools to talk about it. We look forward to seeing you again in our next episode. So until then, take Take care. care.